0: Good morning, welcome to Cornerstone. We are so glad that you're here today. If this is your first time, I encourage you to stop by Guest Services located on the pallet wall in the lobby. Our greeters are ready to answer your questions, have lots of information for you, and we have a free gift to send home with you today. We are one week away from kicking off our At The Movie sermon series. This awesome and unique series allows us to experience movies in a whole new way. Each week, we'll watch a popular film and find God at the movies. A little later in the service today, Pastor Dave is going to challenge you to invite some friends along in the upcoming weeks to this series, and we want to help you and give you some tools to do that. When you leave today, pick up one of these, a popcorn package with a ticket to At The Movies. You can give them to your friends, family, coworker all of the information that's printed on the ticket and invite them to join you to this awesome experience. We also have information on our Facebook page and on our website at cccduncanon.com slash moody's to better explain why we do a series like this and give you information that you can easily share with your friends and family. Thanks for coming, everyone. Have a great week.
1: morning. How are you today? Good. I I just dozed off there for a second. Um, My name is Dave Sherwood. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone. Welcome you to our services today. If you're a visitor, you're at the tail end of a series called R4. What we've basically been talking about is rest and recharging and resetting your life. And today we're going to be talking about reigniting something. So thinking a little bit about what that reignition might be here in a minute. we got a variety of things coming up in the fall. We've got a big leadership summit Talk about the vision of our church. We're going to end up with some next step classes for people that are new to the church, get them acclimated to things. We've got baptism September 15th, which means we've got classes September 8th. If you're at all interested in baptism as a next step of your faith, you can contact the church office. You can come to the class. You don't have to get baptized. It's not in the same day. Um, But if you're interested in things like that, you can let us know. In addition to all that, next week we've got At the Movies. And so At the Movies is an opportunity for us to invite some of our friends that maybe don't typically go to church. Maybe they've given up on God, given up on church, given up on whatever. It's a chance for us to do something that's a little bit more interesting. It's a little bit different than typical church. So be thinking about and praying about that. In fact, what I want you to think about and pray about very specifically is on the way out, you've got these nifty little at-the-movies along with some popcorn. Get it? Popcorn movies? We're so clever. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Anyways, uh, you can grab
1: these little packets for inviting somebody. And um, you'll notice that up in the front areas, there's these candles. And what I want you to be thinking about all during the service is I want you to be thinking about maybe who around you, who in your life, co worker, friends, family, maybe needs God. Maybe they've given up on God, given up on church, given up on themselves, but you know that they really need God. See, I understand this because I wasn't raised in a Christian home, and so I, I, I think sometimes when you're raised in a Christian home, like all the compassion and love and all, all this, it just seems like normal and like it's a, it's a given, but I wasn't raised in that sort of a home. And so when Christ came into my life, when I surrendered my life to Christ, things were dramatically different. I went from somebody that was literally suicidal to somebody that was filled with God's love and forgiveness and hope. And there's probably people like that all around you. Yeah, I know their Facebook pages, their Instagram, everything looks cleaned up and really nice, but you'd be surprised what's underneath. And maybe the surprise also is you being courageous in maybe a totally new way about inviting someone. So like I said, be thinking about this candle all during the service. At the end of the service, we're going to ask you to engage in that a little bit more. Let me... Pray, and then we'll jump in. All right? Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this day. We ask, Father, that you would lead and guide our hearts and our minds down the pathway that you have for us. We ask Jesus that you help us to think like you, to feel like you, and to engage like you. And we pray all these things in the powerful name of Christ. All God's people said, Amen. Okay, so Proverbs 26.20 says this. It says, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. Thank you, Captain Obvious. So, what's going on? Well, there's more to the passage, and it actually talks about how you don't kind of stoke a a fire of a quarrel, because that's what some people do. But it got me thinking about something that we're going to be talking about the rest of the service. And so the question becomes, this fire has to have some logs put on it. Oh, fire for what? Well, that's the trick question, isn't it? What are we passionate about? What do we think it's all about? Let me, let me be manipulative and tricky for a second. Uh, I want you to imagine that you win the lottery. Not some crappy $5 million lottery. We can spend that. Not even a $35 million lottery. I, the 751 and 99 lottery. Okay, yeah, go big or go home. And so you win the lottery, and your mind, let your mind right now just start running. Oh, I need a Ferrari and a boat, and I'm going to move to this place, and I'm going to do, and I'm going to have these experiences. Here's what the lottery does. The lottery is this really awesome idea filter. And it tells you exactly what's the center of your hopes, your dreams, your passions, your desires. It's a trick question. What if you won the lottery? Interesting kind of thing for you to consider is Jesus had already won the lottery when he was up in heaven. He's up in heaven, driving his Ferrari down the streets of gold, getting the best coffee known to man, just enjoying everything. It's, it's all great, But he decides that his passion is the important thing for him. It says for the the joy set before him, he disrobed himself of his glory because winning the lottery for him was sacrificing himself on a cross for you. And all of a sudden, something interesting is going on. So we live in this world, and this world tells us, hey, you got to make a lot of money, or you got to have a career, or you got to have these credentials, or you got to have these many followers, or be a YouTube influencer, or th- this is what it's all about. And then Jesus comes in and says, actually, what it's all about is nowhere near that shallow or selfish. It's about people and their souls and their hearts and their minds. And it's about all of eternity, not just someday, right here, right now. So in the book of Hebrews, where we're going to be spending some of our time, what's going on in the book of Hebrews is Paul's writing to some people that are are pulling back from their faith. And so Paul, in looking at them pulling back on their faith, he throws some logs onto their fire. And the logs that he chooses to throw on their fire... I'll let you know about as he sets it up. It says this in Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 3. He says, The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguishes Distinguished our ancestors and set them above the crowd. By faith we see the world called into existence by God's word. What we see created by what we don't see. Paul's argument is a reminder to them that it's not about what you see and experience and taste and touch and feel. That underneath it all, underneath the fact that you can even enjoy any of those things, is a designer, is an architect, is a rescuer. It's God. And that God, underneath all of this, has made this thing. And you can't see what's behind it, but you experience what's behind it. The laws of gravity and the consistency of mathematics and tens and thousands of millions of other things. And then the interesting question becomes for us and for these people that this book is written to is, what is our foundation You know your foundation because it's revealed by the lottery question. Is my foundation how I feel or how I purchase things or how my vanity works or other people see me? Or is my foundation in his love for me, his sacrifice for me, his creating everything for me, his principles, his ideas, all of that? Is that the foundation? Because if it's not the foundation, then the question becomes, well, what is the foundation? What... Who is tricking me? How, why do I think the way I think? We've got this really neat structure here in America with the internet and TV and everything else, and so there's people that are constantly telling you, "Ha ha ha, this is what's funny," and "Oh ho ho, this is what's meaningful." And buy this product, and and you'll be happy or you know self actualized by this, that, and the other thing, and all this fluid stream of purchasing things and experiences and ideas. Which one is happening to you? Are you rooted to the very blueprints, the core, the foundation? Or are you just flowing back and forth? In Hebrews 11, he goes on and he basically is saying to these people that are receding from their faith. He says, by faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. Abraham said yes to God's call to travel to a place he'd never been before. He literally is told by God, hey, just head in this direction. I'll tell you when you get there. Are we on the slide up there? No, not yet. Uh, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. There's this whole list. And here's where I want things to kind of get interesting for you. Your story is connected to their story. Let me explain a little bit. This, this idea of who Jesus is and what he accomplished, but it's not just all directly connected. There's Bible translators and there's missionaries and there's prophets and there's scribes and people that did potluck. The whole point is that all through history, all this has flowed down to this moment. All of those stories in my Bible flow into this moment. They flow into me. Now, this is where things get interesting because, okay, all of these people knowing all these stories, that's part of what keeps me on fire, keeps me engaged. Now, I can read all the other stories. I can read the Kardashian stories and Kanye stories, and I can read all kinds of shallow nonsense stories. Or I can read the sort of stories that fuel my faith. And what do those stories look like? Well, the stories look like things like this. In Hebrews eleven twenty-four through 28, it says this. By faith, Moses, when grown, refused the privileges of the Egyptian royal house. He chose a hard life with God's people rather than an opportunistic soft life of sin with the oppressors. He valued suffering in the Messiah's camp far greater than Egyptian wealth because he was looking ahead. He was anticipating the payoff. By an act of faith, he turned his heels on Egypt, indifferent to the king's blind rage. He had his eye on the one no eye can see and kept right on going. Now, the thing that's important to understand about Moses is it's not just about Moses obeying God, it's about Moses' obeying God liberates all these other people. And so then the question becomes something like this. Are you aware of all of these stories in the Bible and that they affect you? Are you aware of what's going on in the world right now? The persecuted church. There are Chinese pastors who got kidnapped in the middle of the night there are Filipino pastors this last week that got shot out of the pulpit there are the church is under persecution now as much as it has been in the first three centuries the church and all of those stories we become stewards of what do I mean by that I'm not a great guy I think that whatever is good about me, most of it comes from God. A lot of it comes from my wife, Amy, who's not here because she's at home getting ready for a party. But let me tell you a little bit about Amy. Amy's grandfather was a raging alcoholic. He was physically and verbally abusive to his household. And what happened is, back in the day, there were these things called revivals, kind of like the fair coming to town or the carnival. And so it was just a big deal. You just go go see it. Well, he gets invited by somebody to go to this revival thing. And Amy's grandfather, Timmy, steps into that place and encounters God. Encounters the story of Jesus' love and forgiveness, redemption, and he's transformed and as he's transformed it transforms his marriage and his family two of his sons become pastors his one daughter is like married to a pastor and then down the road Amy shows up and I get to meet her now here's the deal at first when I met Amy I didn't realize that she was a part of all of those stories we were a part of all of the stories of Christianity. And in fact, they all boil down to your stewardship of all those stories. They are a torch that the martyrs carried and the saints and the apostles and the missionaries and the Bible translators and Joe Average and people that gave money. It's a torch that's handed down to you and me. Through their tears and their blood and their suffering, and the question becomes, what do we do with that torch? Will we hand it on to the next believers or not? Somebody has to be courageous. Somebody has to be brave. And somebody, whenever the preacher says it, always means you. He goes on in this Hebrews passage, he says, I could go on and on, but I've run out of time. There are so many more. There's Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. Through acts of faith, they toppled kingdoms, made justice work, took the promises for themselves. They were protected from lions and fires and bears, oh no, and swords thrusts. They turned disadvantage to advantage. They won battles. They routed alien armies. Women received their loved ones back from the dead. There were those who, under torture, refused to give in and to go free. It goes on. It says that they preferred something better, resurrection. Others braved abuse and whips and, yes, chains and dungeons. We have stories of those who were stoned, sawed in two, murdered in cold blood. Stories of vagrants wandering the earth in animal skins, homeless and friendless and powerless. The world didn't deserve them, making their way as best they could. On the cruel edges of the world, why would someone live this way? I don't know if you know Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller are magicians. One of them's always silent, it's like Silent Bob. And Penn was interviewed, and he's not a Christian, but he, he said something fascinating. He said that he was super respectful of Christians because they were brave enough to humiliate themselves in awkward situations, inviting people to ch- church and telling the gospel story. That he respected that because if you really believe something, if it's really the centrifuge, if it's really the foundation, then it's got to bloom. It's got to create fruit. It's got to go out. So let me be patriotic for a moment. I want you to think about America, America's wars in particular. And we've got some errors that we've made, I think, that history's made pretty obvious. But one of the things that's really interesting about a lot of our wars is that we go to liberate others. By and large, our stories are not about people coming to our shores and we're defending it. Because you know what, you're kind of cornered. It's heroic, but it's also necessary. But sending our daughters and our sons overseas to liberate other people who are being cornered and trapped and liquidated in concentration camps and everything else. There's something dynamic about that. In a minute, I'm going to have you watch a clip from the movie Braveheart. A lot of you have probably seen it. There's a couple of not perfect words in, in the clip. All I can say is get over it or send me a letter. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but what he does is he, he's saying to these guys, hey, we want to liberate Scotland. And they're doing what people do when you say, let's go do something heroic, do something that matters. They're hedging their bets. I don't know if I want to do this. I don't, I'm not, I don't know, courage, and what does this all mean, and blah, 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 blah. And then he, he steps into the moment and he says, look. You're all going to be in your deathbed someday. And you're going to look back at this moment with either regret or you changed. In your case here today, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to tell you that when all of these people have handed this torch to you, that God believes in you to be able to do it in this generation. Your friends, your family, your neighbors. That you can step into it. I'm going to meet a bunch of people in heaven someday. I'm going to be able to see Amy's grandfather again and say thanks. I'm going to meet C.S. Lewis, who I've read a bunch of books from. I, I get to say thanks. I'm going to meet all these songs that we sing and the hymns and all that. Those, because all of that has changed me. I, I get to go meet all these people and say thanks. There are literally going to be hundreds if not thousands of people that have built courage into me and hope into me and faith into me. They are the logs on the fire. And the question becomes, what are people going to say to you in heaven someday? Are people going to say you were courageous? Courageous. Thanks for inviting me to. Thanks for bringing up the conversation. Of, thanks for pre- uh, Is anybody going to say that? It's a point in the sermon where you, you go one of two ways. You either go, man, it's crap. I shouldn't have come to church today. It's guilt-sticking and shaming. Or you go, dude, I'm inspired to live a life that matters and to make a difference. Watch Braveheart. Put your fingers in your ears during two words, and we'll come back and talk.
0: they could own more lands that I have to work for them. Nor me. All right, lads! I'm not dying for these bastards! Let's go home! until we've negotiated! Can't be no tall enough. The Almighty says this must be a fashionable fight, it's drawn the finest people. Where is thy salute? For presenting yourselves on this battlefield, I give you thanks. This is our army. To join it, you give homage. I give homage to Scotland. And if this is your army, why does it go? We didn't come here to fight for them. Oh, the English are too many. I am William Wallace William Wallace is seven feet tall Yes, I've heard He kills men by the hundred And if he were here He'd consume the English with fireballs from his eyes And bolts of lightning from his arse (laughs) I am William Wallace And I see A whole army of my countrymen Here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. And free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Right? Against that? No! We will run! Ah. And we will live! But they'll never take our freedom!
1: My point. I see my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room, and you know I'm not William Wallace. And you may go, I'm not William Wallace, and that's true. Christianity has not been stitched together because of the big names. The big names just happen to write something, or say something, or do something. Christianity has been handed down person by person by person. You've been entrusted with the story and with living it and experiencing it and showing it to others. You've got an opportunity to forever change the world for eternity. I was a sarcastic, dark, negative 14, 15-year-old kid, last person you'd probably try to invite to church. Cynical, nasty. Here's my point. My point is you have no idea what's going on inside of people. They are a moment away from death. They're a moment away from divorce. They're a moment away from getting back into meth. They're all sorts of things. And Jesus can really totally transform someone's life. I know it because it happened to me. But for that to happen in that person, in that marriage, in that life, somebody's got to step in. And that someone is you. It says this in Hebrews eleven thirty nine 39 through 40. Not one of these people, even though their lives of faith were exemplary, got their hands on what was promised. God had a better plan for us. They didn't get to see it all come to fruition. Notice what it says next. That their faith and our faith would come together to make one complete whole. Their lives of faith not complete apart from ours. That it keeps being passed on generation to generation. And then the next big question becomes, will there be another generation? Or to put it this way. As we have received the fire from them, from God, it ignites our lives to hand off to the next believers. And sitting in your bed someday, are you going to look back and go, man, I remember. when like Moses and Abraham and Sarah and Samuel, I was courageous in talking to people, in living this out, in the adventure being real. And you're going to look back, and there's just going to be a big, silly grin on your face because you became fully awake and fully alive, and you know that eternity is going to have people coming up to talk to you. Or are you going to look back and go, I put in a lot of time on my Instagram page. I binged a bunch of Netflix. And before I died, I was dead already. Which one are you going to be? So what I want you to do with the candle that I've asked you to think about during the whole service is you're going to have an opportunity during the worship set to come up and to take a Sharpie and write the name on the back of the candle of one person that you think is outside of relationship with God, that God maybe wants you to influence, wants you to, wants you to take a courageous step forward. And what is going to happen is all of the month of September, every single day, I'm going to pray for the list that I'm putting together. You're going to put the name on the candle. You're going to light the candle at the end of service. I'm going to blow out the candle, and I'm going to write those names down. I'm going to do my part. God's going to do his part. Step into the adventure of doing your part. When you come up to light the candle, there's a a lighter. Why don't you take that lighter and linger for a moment? I get this fire from the martyrs and the saints and the missionaries and the pastors and the Bible translators. I get this flame from all of those people. And all of those people are looking at you in anticipation of the courage you're going to display moving the God story into the next generation. Then light the candle for this next person. And you'll be looking all week, all month, be looking for the opportunity, ask God for the opportunity to step into moments with them, to talk about who God is, to invite to church. Let me pray. Father God, we forget sometimes that all the things that we have, your word, your Holy Spirit, the church, our history, every, everything we have is connected not just to you, but to people, people, God, that were courageous, people, God, that, that suffered, people that lived life in wild abandon for you, and courage, and joy, and Father God, we're going to get to meet all these people someday because they're part of our family, and we're looking forward to that. But Father, right here, right now, would your Holy Spirit make us brave? Make us courageous. Make us understand that all of those people and you yourself believe in us and have entrusted this flame of faith to be handed to the next generation through us. May we be made worthy in Christ's name. Amen.